going to have our uh, reading now, which comes from um, Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 23 to 48. And we've got uh, three readers coming up to, to share the, uh, the three different parts. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and he said, Get up, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptised with water? They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen.
should be a picture appearing on the screen at any moment. I don't know whether it um, brings back any memories. It was um, quite a pivotal moment in England's World Cup campaign. I think up to that moment, we somehow thought that we might just be in with a chance of winning the World Cup. Because we never learn, do we? And if you look back over history, there were pivotal moments which changed the course of history. You know, the Pope's visit this week reminds us of uh, Martin Luther nailing his uh, 95 theses against indulgences in 1517, which started the, the Reformation. And the last century, had there not been uh, two world wars which had turned out and the way they did, we could be in a very different place today. Had the Iron Curtain not come down in 1989, who knows if Christina would be here this evening. The passage we're looking at this evening tells the story of a pivotal moment in God's plan of salvation. It's a plan that had started with the uh, uh, creation of Adam and Eve, a plan in which he promised to Abraham that through Abraham's offspring the whole world would be blessed uh, through his offspring. And in many ways we see here in this passage the fulfilment of that promise as the penny drops for Peter. It says there in verse 34, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The other Jewish believers there also realise the same thing. A little later in verse 45 it says, The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. But whilst it's important to know that God welcomes believers from all nations into his kingdom, it's important to know that he welcomes specific individuals into his kingdom. What we're going to look at in these few moments this evening before Steve and Christina and Emily are baptised is that process by which an individual, uh, by which the individual's here in Cornelius' house, um, by which we also can come into God's kingdom. Because that process for them then was, uh, was special, but it's the same process by which Steve and Christina and Emily have come into God's kingdom, and by, by which you too, if you've not yet, can also come into God's kingdom. So we're going to answer the question, how, first of all, do we enter the kingdom of God? And the first uh, part in that process is we hear the word of God. We hear the word of God. The reason Peter is in this place at this time is because he'd received a vision from God, Uh, God had sent some men from Cornelius to go and fetch him. And they come knocking at Peter's door. And as he goes down to to open to them, he says, I'm the one you're looking for. Jeff was telling us uh, earlier this week, that was a text apparently he preached on when he came here to preach for The View many, many years ago. I'm the one you're looking for. Um, Takes uh, something to to preach on that, doesn't it? Um, Interesting, it carries on. why have you come? But uh, <laughs> something for. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure he chose that, chose that particular one. But uh, anyway, the men bring Peter back to Cornelius, where he and his family and friends had gathered. After Cornelius explains his vision to Peter, Peter responds by telling all those who have gathered there the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is recorded here in these verses that. Um, that were read out for us by, uh, by, by Hugh, that passage in the middle there, 
here's a summary of the gospel, what it's all about. It's, I counted 221 words. Uh, it took you about 90 seconds to explain the gospel to this gathering there. Have a look at his gospel outline, though, because the way he starts, first of all, is by reminding them of what they know already. Look there in verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. These people are obviously well aware of the ministry of Jesus, who wouldn't have been in that time. News spread fast, even in the days before Facebook. But then Peter goes on to give his own testimony of what he and the other disciples had witnessed themselves, how they were with Jesus throughout his ministry, up to the point when he died. But most importantly, how they'd seen him after he came back to life, how they'd eaten and drunk with him, and how he had left them with the commission to go and preach to people, to testify that he is the one whom God had appointed judge of the living and the dead. And Peter finishes his message by explaining the gift of forgiveness is open to all who believe him. He's doing a good job here, isn't he, with his short gospel message. Um, He's probably about to issue a call to respond. But at that point, the Holy Spirit steps in. And it says, thank you very much, Peter. I'll uh, carry on from here. Just look there in verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, in other words, his words, his, his sermon effectively, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, literally the word, which is there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, as the word of God. In other words, in Peter's words, they had heard God speaking to them. They'd heard the word of God himself. And for that to happen, the Holy Spirit must have opened their hearts to understand what was being said. Peter here is an instrument in the hands of God, but the act of conversion is all the work of God himself. It's amazing, isn't it, that different people can listen to the same sermon and come away with a very different opinion on what was said to them, as God challenges us at different times in different ways, depending on God's, God's work. Now, it is a reminder for us, before we come to church, just to, to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us each time, that we would hear the word of God. So we hear the word of God, but secondly, we believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. What Peter tells this gathering that they know already was that they could receive peace through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, it says here, is Lord of all. Jesus went around, he went around healing um, all those who were under the power of the devil because his power was greater than that of the devil. He commanded demons to come out of people. And we read elsewhere in the, in the Bible that uh, they said as they came out, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us, they're saying to Jesus? He is Lord of the universe. All things were made by him. They were made for him. And whatever Stephen Hawking says about his uh, theoretical possibility, it still requires a much 
greater degree of faith to believe that this world was created out of nothing by accident. Jesus is Lord means that one day every knee will bow down before him because he has been appointed, as it says here, judge of the living and the dead. When he comes again, everyone shall rise, believers and unbelievers. We will all face the judgment of Jesus Christ. But it's through Jesus' name, because he's Lord of all, that we can receive forgiveness of sins. No one else has the power to forgive sins other than him. Because he's the one as Lord of the universe who has been sinned against. Christianity stands and falls on who we think Jesus is. Is he Lord? Is he Saviour? The reason Steve and Christina and Emily are going to be baptised this evening is because they want to profess their belief that he is Lord and Saviour and that they have submitted their lives to him. Let me ask you, is he Lord and Saviour of your life? Well, if that is how we enter the kingdom of heaven, how then is that entry marked? Well, while Peter was still speaking these words, it says the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And that is how our entry is marked. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when we believe. Just look over at um, chapter 11, verse 17, if you've got your, your Bibles open there. This is Peter explaining now to the apostles in Jerusalem uh, what has been going on when he went to Cornelius' house. And what he says to them is, um, if God gave them, the Gentiles, this is, in other words, those who weren't Jews, the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose or hinder God? In other words, they too received the gift when they believed how do we know that they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, we, the readers know because uh, Luke has emphasised how, how he fell on them, how, was, how he was poured out on them. But the Jewish believers who were present knew because it says here they spoke in tongues, they praised God. Things that happened at Pentecost, that would have been fresh in their minds. This is Pentecost all over again. The return of, of Pentecost. It's Peter... Again, it's the Holy Spirit again in the lead roles, as per the first episode. It's probably a more low-budget version of Pentecost. We don't have a cast of uh, 3,000 here. The effects are more low-key. We don't have tongues of fire. We don't have a violent wind. But we have a new twist in the plot, because now we have confirmation that God welcomes everyone from all nations into his kingdom. And this is God demonstrating through the gift of the Spirit, that the Gentiles have been given repentance. It had to be a clear demonstration of that power for the Jewish believers to, to accept it, which is probably why the Holy Spirit came so suddenly and powerfully. But why do we receive the Holy Spirit as believers? Why do we receive the Holy Spirit today as believers? Let's just turn to um, Ephesians chapter to 1, very briefly with me, page 1173. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, the end of verse 13. Here it says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise 
of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our, our seal. He's there to show us that we belong to God. He's there to protect us until we receive that full inheritance when we go to be with our Lord. What a wonderful gift that is. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So our entries into the, into the kingdom is marked by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, it is marked by baptism. Peter is the first here to accept that the, the Gentiles have received the gift of, the, of forgiveness, God's gift of grace. They've witnessed that themselves. And that is why he says in verse 47, he says, Can anyone keep these people from being baptised with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And what he's saying here is that if they have received the real thing, if they've received the, the invisible grace of, of regeneration, if they've been filled with the Spirit, then how can the, the external, visible sign of that grace, of baptism, be denied them? Why shouldn't they be baptised, Peter is asking? Why deny them that gift? And I guess yet many Christians today will ask, well, why do I need to be baptised? Why bother? I don't really need that Thank you very much. And it might just help to see what this baptism signified for these people. Because firstly it signified the total salvation that God had given them. They've received forgiveness of sins. They've received the gift of the Spirit. They've been united with Jesus Christ. They've died with him. They've been raised to life. They've had their sins washed clean. That was tremendously significant for the Gentiles there who were considered as unclean. And that symbolism we're going to be seeing very powerfully as so we witness this baptism in a moment. That full immersion of a believer dying with Christ but being raised to new life. Well, as well as being a sign of their faith, baptism also marked their entry into the community, the community of believers, into the church, which again was tremendously important for the Gentiles. They now share the same Lord. The one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism. Through their faith they are already members, but the baptism is a sign of God's grace. What he's done in admitting them into his church. And what it signified for them then, it signifies for Steve, for Christina and Emily this evening. By ordering the new believers here to be baptised, what Peter was doing was welcoming them into the new community. But of course, he didn't just leave instructions for them to be baptised and then just shoot off. He, he stayed with them for a few days. He wanted to show that being truly accepted as fellow Christians, as new believers, um, they needed some, some discipling as well, though. And, and baptism is often seen as the end of a journey, isn't it? You know, it's a bit like getting your exam results. You've worked hard at your revision. You sat the exams, you got your results, and now you can just sit back and relax. But of course, what, was, what use are exam results if you don't use them? If you don't use them to, to get a job, to start a career, to move up the career ladder. Baptism is actually the start of a journey, but people who are baptised need discipling. Steve, Christine and Emily will need lots of help, and I hope as a church that we will be able to to give them that over the coming weeks and months and years. Well, as I finish then, before we come to the baptism 
itself. It's not a complicated process to become a Christian. You need to hear the message of salvation. By God's grace, you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Saviour. And if you do that, you will receive that gift of forgiveness for all your sins. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And as you enter the kingdom of God, that glorious future which uh, awaits all of us who have already put our trust in him, that, that is there for us, that is waiting us. It's there described in Hebrews 12. Let me just read these verses from Hebrews 12 to you. This is what it says. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator, a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Can anyone keep these people from being baptised? Peter asked. Would anyone withhold this gift from them? Can anyone keep you from being baptised? That gift is open to everybody here this evening.